As Dave was on his way up to the podium to give the announcements, Marie Romero came to me and asked me if we could make it known to the church how grateful she was for everything that was done for her, all the ladies that cooked food, all the acts of kindness. She said, there's no way for me to write a thank you card to each and every person that deserves one, but she wants the whole church to know how grateful she is. It was a wonderful occasion because of the fact that Robert had been obedient to God's plan of salvation and has lived as faithfully as he could to be able to preach that service, to get to meet so much of uh, Marie's considerable, sizable family, uh, and to have that moment to look ahead at the day in which all the redeemed will be at rest. We are in the middle of our series on keeping the church from the wilderness as we are looking in that part of the Old Testament that we have been seeing for the last few weeks. And I want us to continue our thoughts there. A Missouri preacher began a campaign with the congregation that he called 21 Days Without Complaining. And to kind of stoke this particular campaign, if you will, they provided the church with the individual members with purple bracelets that would remind them not to complain. And the encouragement was for them to go 21 days without complaining, and that wristband was to help remind them. But if they were to slip up and complain, they were to start all over again and take that wristband and put it on the other wrist. I thought what a great way to keep that tangibly before us. There's also a Missouri legislator, a congressman, who proposed legislation for what he called Complaint-Free Wednesday, which would cause people in this nation to prepare their minds for the gratitude that they ought to feel on that next day. So it was pitched, and I don't know if it surprises you or not, but that legislation was rejected. Fox News reports of an IT company in Leipzig, Germany, that makes its employees sign a contract in which they will not complain or grumble. That any uh, complaints they have about co-workers or working conditions, they must keep at home and not bring into the workplace. If only controlling the problem of complaining was as simple as a bracelet or a contract or even a congressional bill. You know, complaining is an ancient, if an unskilled art. Anybody can do it, but nobody should. And yet we do. We complain about everything. We complain about the weather. We complain about our jobs. We complain about work. We complain about our health, about our diet, about our relationships. In fact, we complain about as many areas as there are areas to complain about. And yet it should not be that way. Perhaps we could describe or define complaining as a failure to see the big picture. When we think about all that is done for us on a daily basis, if we fall into the habit of complaining, then we have missed the bigger picture. You know, that was the case for the Israelites, a people who failed to see the big picture. They were in the generation that were led by God out of the exodus from Egypt, and they were led up to the very cusp of the promised land. 
And yet they got lost in the little things, those daily details that shrouded their view of the big picture. But this failure to see God and to follow His leadership was a most serious matter. Even in New Testament times, this generation is held up as an example of how not to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul reminds us that with most of those in this generation in the wilderness, God was not well pleased. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. And there are several reasons why God is not pleased with them. If you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, they were filled with evil desires. Verse 7, they practiced idolatry. Verse 8, they were characterized by immorality. And yet in two verses out of that brief description of that generation, Paul says that they were guilty of complaining. He says it two different ways. If you'll look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 9, this is a reference to their complaining. Because the Bible says, don't let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted Christ and were destroyed by the serpents. They were destroyed by the serpents because they complained about the manna that God had given them to sustain them. And then, of course, very plainly in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, it says, And neither complain, as some of them complained, and were destroyed of the destroyer. As we look at them, the Bible holds them up as an example for us to look at and note so as not to fall from grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 12. You know, the sin of complaining is one of those sins that good Christians commit. And yet it is a sin that can damage and even destroy one's relationship with God. And that's exactly what happened with the Israelites in that particular generation. Two times in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says, Now these things happen unto them as an example for us. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6 and verse 11. So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at the Israelite example. And I want us to notice about their complaining, what we see with regard to that and what we can learn from it. There's only three things that I want us to notice together and the lesson is yours. The first thing I want you to notice about the Israelites in this generation is that complaining was in their history. For us to understand about the complaining of these people, we've got to go back before the wilderness of Paran in Numbers chapter 13 with what we're more familiar with. For us to see the genesis of their complaining, we have got to go to the book of Exodus. And there we see their complaining and we understand the context of the history of this people to complain. You know, as we notice where the complaining begins... They had just experienced a great victory at the Red Sea. God had parted the Red Sea and they had crossed over on dry ground. And after this amazing, marvelous victory, just three days, uh, Moses leads them into the wilderness of Shur. And there they go three days without water at a place that's called Merah. And the people complain against Moses saying, give us water to drink. Isn't it amazing that the song of Moses was still fresh on their lips when they opened up their mouths to complain? They had just been singing about divine victory. And now they're complaining about not having water to drink. And so we see that they are developing this ability, even in the midst of their blessings, to complain. And yet that's nothing compared to what happens next. In Exodus chapter 16, after they complain about water, 
We see what happens that Moses and Aaron leads the Israel into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Sinai. And there the nation lets go of a flood of complaints against Moses and Aaron and against God. Because when we see this complaining that takes place, it's happening either against Moses and Aaron, Moses or Aaron or God. But ultimately all the complaining was against God because God had appointed Moses and Aaron as their leaders. They had their water now, but in Numbers, uh, Exodus rather, chapter 16, they're complaining again. And I want you to notice their tactic. That first of all, they used intimidation. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2, the Bible says that the whole congregation comes up against Moses to make the complaint. Can you imagine being Moses? And here are throngs of people coming at you just to complain. But not only was there intimidation, but I'll notice with you that they were very dramatic. In verse 3, they say, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. Did they really want to die? And yet the drama was there in high overdrive. But you'll also notice that they had a faulty memory. It's amazing to me that they ever even articulated the words that are found in Exodus 16 and verse 3. They said, We sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full in Egypt. Wow, it sounds like they were on a resort vacation. Seems like they forget something about taskmasters and making bricks and even having to supply their own straw in order to do that and having the quota stay the same. They forgot how much they had cried out to God to deliver them. But oh, at this moment, it was all sitting by pots of meat and eating bread until they couldn't eat anymore. But notice also that they questioned motives in their complaining. They said to Moses that you brought us out into this wilderness in order to kill us. Was that what happened? They couldn't have known that, but we know certainly that God's leader was a man that was a friend of God. And yet they question his motives. Now you'll notice that God gives them manna, and he does so in order to see if they could be satisfied, according to verse 4 through 6, and yet they could not. And then you'll notice in Exodus chapter 17 that the people complain again after the manna incident because they lack water. And in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 3, the people, it says, thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, today we may find ourselves in the wilderness of whining. When we find ourselves complaining, it's good for us to ask, is this my history? Am I prone, am I apt to complain? Is this a pattern with me? Is this something I find myself falling into over and over again? Do I struggle with contentment as a, a, a matter of course? There's something that is called a poem that's been circulating around the internet that perhaps you have seen. It's written by an unknown author and it goes this way. So stop waiting until your car or your home is paid off. Until you get a new home or car. Until your kids leave the house. Until you go back to school. Until you finish school. Until you lose 10 pounds. Until you gain 10 pounds. Until you get married. Until you get a divorce. Until you have kids. Until your kids are grown. Until summer. Until spring. Until winter. Until fall until you die and the idea is the point is obvious in this poem that now is the time to kill discontent or it will live in you as long as you live 
When you see an elderly person that is discontent and that is apt to complain, you can rest assured in your thinking that that lived in them to a degree when they were younger. It's a history that we develop. We need to ask ourselves, what is the legacy that we are leaving with the people that must live with us? Our family, our friends, and the church. Is it a legacy of complaining? In Israel it was. It was their history to complain. But next, I want you to notice with me that it was also their habit. Isn't it amazing how many times Israel is guilty of complaining and the sin of complaining? We get a glimpse of that as we follow them through their wilderness wandering for 40 years. And the same theme keeps recurring over and over again as they go through this end of their life. Notice with me, if you will, how many times they complained. Tony read to us the first occasion in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1 and verse following, where there's a place called Taborah because there God destroyed them with fire. They had complained. The Bible says that they became a people who complained and it displeased the Lord. And then we go over to Numbers chapter 14 and verse 2, and the majority report is believed by the Israelites, and they complain about the fact that it's so difficult what God is asking them, what Joshua and Caleb is telling them that they can do. And Numbers 14, 27 would show us that God is tempted to destroy them because of their complaining. In Numbers chapter 16, they're complaining about Moses' leadership. And Korah leads a con- the congregation in their discontent. And you'll remember that God kills Korah and those involved in this rebellion. And the people complain about that to Moses. And God, because of this, sends a plague that kills 14,000 of them as a punishment of their complaining. And then in Numbers 21 and verse 7, they complain about the manna and God sends the serpents among them and he punishes them for complaining. In Deuteronomy 1 and verse 37, at the end of the wandering, Moses speaks to the next generation and he speaks about their parents and he says, they sat in their tents and complained. Modern day vernacular. They, as their, their way of entertaining themselves, of passing the time, they sat in their houses and they complained. You know, complaining is a habit that is formed. It's something that we fall into, that we're prone to. But it wasn't as if this people couldn't help themselves. God is warning them, no matter how often God rebuked their complaining and punished them for it, it's as, as if they just couldn't stay away from it. And it wasn't that they had been dealt a bad hand. They caused a lot of their own trouble. But even as they're wandering in the wilderness, God is taking care of them. He's sending them quail and he's sending them manna and he's protecting them. Nehemiah looks back on this generation of people and he says that God was with them for 40 years in the wilderness. And their clothes did not wear out, neither did their feet swell. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 21 In Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 7, Moses looks back and says that God was with them through this great wilderness and they lacked nothing. What's amazing to me is that here's a people who God's taking care of and is blessing, even despite their sin and their weakness. And despite the fact that God was lavishing gifts on them and was taking care of them, they still found room to complain. It's a real head-scratcher, isn't it? You know, I think about the third-world countries that I have visited, and I think about particularly the children. Children are a good insight into what goes on in the home. 
I've seen little children who have made soccer balls, as that little boy is there, by balling together several plastic bags, winding them tight, and then binding them with string. They've made their shoes out of old tires, truck tires. Their hula hoops are old bicycle tires. They have homemade slingshots, and most of the time, all that they have is their imagination to play with. And yet it's an amazing thing. I remember several years ago, the first time I'd ever heard of it, that Matthew Height decided to come up with a game when he was in Africa called Sweet and Sour or something like that. And every time he smiled at uh, the locals, he would check and see if they would smile back or if they would keep a sour disposition. And almost every time, and, and all of us got to playing that game, they would smile. Frowns are very uncommon. Now you may think that they're frowning, but they may be thinking about something because it's just not customary. And it's not tolerated. And generally speaking, there are content and happy people despite what they don't have. And yet here we find ourselves in a country where we have excessive wealth. Where we have discretionary income. Where we have unofficial holidays like Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And we have all these things that are given to us. And yet we find time and room as children and adults to complain. It's interesting There are websites out there. There's websites like complaints.com, complaintsboard.com, complaintsitedirectory.com. And I really could go on and on at websites like that. But the one I found most interesting was the one called bentnation.com, bentnation, where you as a nation can go and vent. You can share with the world what's bothering you today as if we needed to provide people with a forum and an opportunity to complain some more. And yet we're in the land of plenty. God has given us so much and we still find room for the habit of complaining. You know, certainly of all people, Christians should be the least inclined and prone to complain. First of all, there's the spiritual blessings that we enjoy. Chief of all salvation. No matter how terrible our life on this earth may truly be. Emotionally, physically, and socially. We have heaven awaiting us. Here's the Apostle Paul in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Looking back on a trial that he had faced in the past. Where he had faced it alone. And yet he did not complain. He said, God will deliver me from every evil deed and he will preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Paul could be so content because he had learned the art of contentment no matter what was happening to him. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13. As Christians, ought we not be those who can find the positives even in the most negative situations, and not be those who can find negatives even in those things that should be positive situations? You see, Christians should not complain because of the spiritual blessings that are ours in abundance that we cannot even count. But also Christians should be the least apt to complain because we know what the Bible says about complaining. We know what it says about proper attitude and about profitable speech, and complaining fails both tests. But also Christians are those who understand from the Bible how God felt about those Israelites who complained. We see that example. You know, the Missouri preacher devised the purple bracelet 21-day campaign because of what folks say, the experts say, about how long it takes for a habit to be made or broken. They typically say 21 days, three weeks. And that being the case, isn't that something that would be profitable for us? 
What if you and I practiced very good self-honesty and self-discipline and self-examination? And what if we carried around a little notepad or, or some way kept track? Maybe we could, could find an app that would help us to track that. And, and, and any time we complained, make a note of it. And to do that for several days and then go back and review. I mean, really be honest. Any time you complain, stop and write it down. It wouldn't take you very long to determine whether or not you were in the habit of complaining. And if you happen to be in the habit of complaining, wouldn't it be good whether you had a bracelet or not if you just kept track with that same degree of self-honesty and self-evaluation and go 21 days without complaining? How many of us would break a habit if we did that? For Israel, it was a habit. They were in the custom and in the practice of complaining. But of all people in this world, Christians should be the least inclined. But you know, when we look at the complaining of this people, we notice and understand that this occurred because of the last thought that we find in the context. It was a matter of their heart. The Hebrews writer tells us why these Israelites were such complainers. In Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, the Bible says, Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was angry with this generation, and I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an unbelieving heart in departing from the living God. But exhort one another, while it is called today, lest any of you should be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. What we see here is that complaining lips are loosened by an ungrateful heart. You might notice if you look at Hebrews chapter 3 that the writer in this short section appeals to matters of the heart three times. He says, first of all, that we should not harden our hearts as they hardened their hearts, verse 8. That they went astray in their hearts, verse 10. And they were unbelieving in their hearts, verse 12. No wonder that they were complainers. Look at what lived in their hearts. And if we allow our hearts to get into that kind of mess, we're going to be prone to sins like complaining. You know, when you go back and revisit all those passages that mention Israel's complaints, you see how their inner man was already conditioned to do so. The, the writer Moses shows us a lot of what's going on in their heart throughout this chronicling in Numbers. In Numbers chapter 11, we see it in their cravings. Verse 4. We see it in their point of view. Numbers 13 and verse 33. And we see it in their unfaithfulness generally in their life. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 33. All revealed what was in their heart that led them to grumbling. I suggest that discontentment begins within us. And what we allow to dwell there. If we begin to think about how unfair our life is, if we begin to complain about how we're being treated, or if we complain about what we don't have, we are creating a breeding ground for the practice of complaining. If you look at Israel, Israel longed for the past, but it was a warped, false view. And they longed for the future in which they were going to get something. Or have something that was going to magically change their disposition. But when they looked at their present, all they saw was contempt and dissatisfaction. 
Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, that our words reveal our character, what's already inside of us. In Matthew 12, 33, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the, the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Every deed, good and bad, comes from the heart. And only we can control what goes on there. Now I want you to think about Israel for a moment. Isn't it strange that we never read about this people thanking God and praising God for all the inspired writing that's devoted to this generation? We don't see anything about that. Now go back and read through Moses' record and you'll find that they mourned and they cried and they wept and they grumbled. They were a blessed people. Now here's an important question for us to consider. How are we going to be remembered? How will our generation be known? What will they think of our times? Especially as it regards the church. Will we be known for gratitude or will we be known for grumbling? Will we be known for devotion or will we be known for dissatisfaction? When you read in Scripture, you will find that it tells us to be content. Content with whatever we have to endure. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. Content with whatever we face. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. And content with whatever we have. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8. When we recognize our need of God and how God fulfills that need, we're going to be grateful people. We're going to have a thankfulness that can carry us through even our most difficult times as a Christian. I suppose it was on my Twitter feed that I saw this, and I don't know if you have seen this or not. But this past week, a young man, a 25-year-old man by the name of Brandon Bennings, passed away. He had a rare but aggressive form of brain cancer known as glioblastoma. And in two years' time, that was the time in which he found out about the diagnosis, he lost his ability to speak well, his ability to walk, and he lost the use of the right side of his body. About a year ago, he was asked to speak to his congregation in Atlanta, Georgia. And I recommend to you, now have your Kleenex ready if you look at it. As he speaks to that congregation that day, it's just positive. It's filled with things he's grateful for. And how this young man uncannily could find the bright side of life. Here's the way he ended that speech. He said, I have a hope that my life or the way that I am won't always be like I am currently. My hope has been fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled with the support that I get from both family and friends. My hope also in God has major, major, majorly kept me going, kept me positive, and kept me hopeful in saying this too will pass. This young man had the difficult time forming words. You see him stop and think to try to get the strength up just to speak. And in that speech, relatively brief though it was, you keep hearing these words come up over and over again. Hope. Positive. Thankful. To me it's sad 
25 years old. A man who was so intelligent, whose future was so bright, cut down because of an affliction that struck his body. That took him from a strong, he was hyperactive, he says, to being confined to a wheelchair and slowly and painfully dying. Wouldn't you expect that this would be somebody who could find a list of things to complain about? But you see, gratitude or lack thereof, Paul teaches us, is not a matter of the external circumstances or the things that happen to us. It's a matter of what is in us. And what we've got to do is to develop the art, like Paul, no matter what's happening, to be grateful. What a challenge to us, not just this week as we have Thanksgiving, but each and every day that God gives us to live on this earth, to focus on the many good things that God has given to us. And remember, chief of all, though we don't deserve it, though we can't earn it, or do anything to make God put us, or have us put Him in our debt, He provided salvation for us. In the Bible class, in the teen class this morning, we looked at Matthew chapter 24, and we were talking about the fact that the old law was going to come to an end at eighty seventy, and that's what Jesus is talking about in the first half of that chapter. And we talked about the Day of Atonement in the course of that discussion and how the, the high priest had two lambs, or two goats rather, that were gathered. And they drew lots, uh, cast lots for those, and one was the scapegoat and one was the slain goat. The, scape, the scapegoat had the sins of Israel confessed over it, and it was released out into the wilderness symbolizing what God does with our sins when they're forgiven, that he remembers them no more. They're out of his sight. And then there's that slain goat. The neck was cut. The blood came forth. The animal died. And it made atonement for the sins of the people. Friends, Jesus is both our scapegoat and our slain goat. He takes our sins and carries them away. And he did that by virtue of having been slain for us. This morning, have you responded in grateful thanks for the sacrifice made for you by becoming a child of God? By having that atonement have meaning in your life, by acting on your faith in Christ, repenting and being baptized. If you are not yet one who has done that, why not take this opportunity today to become a child of God, to have your sins forgiven? And if you're a child of God who has strayed away from God, why not come home Today, repenting of sins and praying to God for forgiveness. And if we can help you in any way, won't you come right now as together we stand and sing.